0: Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Sylvain Charlebois. On this episode, we welcome a very special guest, listener and friend of the podcast, Joanne MacArthur, president at Nourish Food Marketing, just released her important food trends report for 2021. Last time I saw Joanne in person was at the Restaurants Canada conference in March. Sylvain, I believe you shared the stage with her I as did. well. I remember yeah, it, it, you know, member conferences I, I remember those things you got together with a bunch of people and, and talked about um, vaguely,
1: yeah, whatever My those God, were it seems like a decade ago
0: it, it does and 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 it was a such a, it was a great conference though I, we've spoken about this a couple of times we, you and I were walking there aisles, I was going doesn't this industry realize what's about to happen to it I mean we didn't perhaps. We did say that, that's
1: right. Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. am not sure. Without I, the I'm mask. Not, yeah, I, without the mask. I mean, I'm not sure either of us knew the enormity of it, but we knew something big was coming. Um, but anyway, it was also the genesis of this podcast. So yeah. shout out to our friends at Restaurant Canada and... and and best of luck and all that. So listen, um, let's jump right in. Um, We're now in kind of in different provinces. We're in wave two. And and I've seen you chatting in in, uh, on public and on television talking about the food supply. So the obvious questions come up from the media and others. Okay, we're back into it. We've, you know, everybody talks about pivoting, we've pivoted 360 degrees, we're back where we started in some ways, back in March. But are we really is the is the food supply uh, the supply chain is it is it are we in better shape today than we were in March? And what's your level of confidence that uh, that we'll we'll get through this yet another wave, uh pretty much uh, okay in terms of that?
1: Well, I, I'm I, I was always confident, and and I remain mm-hmm. I remain so. Uh, however, I I must say, I mean, I've been very impressed by by the food industry how it's been delivering day in day out every single week throughout the pandemic uh, i think most people i mean after we were done with the with the first wave a lot of the industry, and you know this, Michael. Uh, the entire industry was focusing on the on this second wave. We knew it was going to happen. We just didn't know when. Now it's happening now across the country, and uh, even in the Atlantic bubble, which just burst yeah.
0: this week. I was going to say, started, I, hate, I hate to burst your bubble there, my friend. I, but, uh,
1: I know it looks, it looks we were like so jealous of yourself. Ontario. We needed our cases yeah. to go up. You
0: know, <laughs> I mean, I you know, it's a little off topic. I want to get back to the supply chain, but it, it, it must be frustrating because you went through the economic and we talked about this the economic constraints that the bubble inflicted and now you've you've got the worst of both worlds so to speak potentially right you've got both an outbreak and, and and have missed any kind of economic benefit it must make the decision leaders in the atlantic think about what to do next summer in terms of of you know tourism and and uh, but get, let's get let's catch us up on that let's let's stick on that for a bit like what's going on in, in halifax how big is this outbreak and and how concerned are people
1: well, people have, have always been concerned, much more so than everywhere else, which is a bit of a paradox. When you actually look at the numbers that we have, people were more concerned by the virus here than elsewhere, even though cases were literally at zero for quite some time. Uh, but it does beg the question, was the bubble worth it? The mm-hmm. virus knows no border. I mean, basically, I think most experts will say that many of us will get the virus eventually what public health officials are trying to manage is the pace and uh, mm-hmm. until we get to this prize called the vaccine yeah yeah, uh, yeah i think that's really the one question that most people are, are asking themselves is when can we get a vaccine and, and it's it's I mean, we've gone through three weeks now of great news uh seeing mm-hmm, new vaccines mm-hmm. uh uh, coming forward with encouraging uh, trial results, the challenge, of course, in Canada is that we've bought a record number of vaccines per capita, but we can't produce any of the vaccines domestically. While what, meanwhile, in the America, uh, there'll be uh, we'll see six million Americans uh, get vaccinated within the next ten days, and the UK just came out today saying that we they could actually vaccinate everyone by easter and so uh i'm a bit concerned about canada's position here because uh, really we need a vaccine in order to get back to some sort of normalcy to allow people mm-hmm. to travel mm-hmm. and feel safe and and uh so i do hope i do hope that the federal government with, along with provinces will figure out a plan to roll out a vaccine any vaccine really as, as quickly as possible
0: you know, it has been interesting watching the I mean the the record for vaccine development I think was 4 years prior to this. So That's right. I I was I was reading this great report in the New York Times about uh, and listening to the the what's it called operation warp speed. Uh, I was listening to an interview with the with the scientist and, and person who's in charge of that. And, that's and right. the the funny thing is he had no idea what it meant. Like he wasn't a Star Trek fan at all. He just had, you
2: know,
0: <laughs> he said, do you even know what that means? He goes, no, I have no idea what a warp speed is. Um, and well, and well, It was launched the, by, the, by the
1: Trump administration. That's right. That's yeah. right. And
0: what it what it did, what I uh, came to understand is it de-risked the investment from the pharmaceutical company. So the science continued unabated without it seems without taking risks or shortcuts but what it did is remove any financial risk to it all which allowed the the process to speed up that seems to be what's you know what's resulted in a vaccine developed in you know needless to say a, record yeah. time i mean that's, that's right. it's and well, and yeah, as you said like not, you know they're reporting 90% effectiveness i mean and you know that that means theoretically half the population gets it and and you're almost you're you're more than halfway there, so to speak. That's
1: right. right. No, absolutely. No, it's it's incredible. So mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, I hate to say this, but Pre- President Trump was right. He was campaigning while he was campaigning. He did mm-hmm. say that that a vaccine will be ready by by Christmas, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what's going on mm-hmm. with the Warp well, the, Speed hey, Project.
0: You know, listen. The problem with the Trump administration was it, there was so much. Noise. You didn't know what to believe. So even when it's kind of it's a <laughs> classical problem, right? Like, you know, it's the classical boy who cried wolf every now and then they were try- they were speaking the truth, but you had no idea. That's it was right. also, it was also lost in the, in the message. Oh, I want to get back to something you, you were saying back in supply chain. Uh, actually connected to the virus and that's domestic manufacturing. So we had some other good news in the past couple of weeks since our last podcast. We had two pretty big announcements. Uh the one close to my heart is there it's going to be making more beer in Canada. I think yes. it's Stella and and Corona. Is uh, Stella
1: your favorite brand or I, I have to say brand?
0: Well, I have to say the local brands are my favorite brand. So there's oh, okay. a, a local brewery here called Amsterdam. We should get
1: them to sponsor the podcast.
0: I think that's a great idea. We should talk about them more. <laughs> that's right. Um uh I, my wife is a big corona fan she likes the beverage i, I you know i like all those those beverages particularly when they're brewed here because they're a little fresher right that's right Um so that's great news that'll happen i think in london ontario at the big uh, labat brewery it was london, funny
1: because the Lo- the london free press reporter called me a couple hmm. of days ago telling me uh about the news and i say, oh hmm. i didn't read it i didn't read about this hmm. well you, you you can't because I'm breaking the news okay so cuz so you did t- don't tweet about it don't say anything until my story comes out I yeah. promise promise but that was an exciting Phone call to get. I mean, London, yeah. London, Ontario. I got to tell you, I mean, it's becoming this great agri-food hub mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in processing. It's getting a lot of it. Dr. Oker uh, invested a few years ago there. Uh, I know yeah. Kellogg's ex- exited a few years ago, but there's more money being poured into the mm. region now. And, and and now we see Corona and Salartois being brewed mm. in Canada. And in London, Ontario, where there are many ingredients in the region, uh, they can get so it's it's great news for the region for sure. As soon as you create pro, food processing job, it's always good for the economy.
0: Well, and and the second announcement was uh, I think was Kraft Heinz announced that they were going to start making That's Heinz right. ketchup again back in Canada. I think in Quebec, if I
1: in I, in re- Pointe Claire, Quebec, huh? closely. So Kraft actually Kraft Heinz. Um, Already operates uh, plants in Montreal. They mm. manufacture the uh, beloved peanut butter and mac and cheese in Montreal, mm. Mm. and and now they'll be adding an extra plant. Uh, they're investing, I believe, it's twenty one million dollars mm. to build an extra plant to manufacture the number one ketchup brand in the country, Heinz ketchup.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, and and for those listeners who may or may not remember, there's a bit of a, a, a buzz around that. Not. A good buzz when they pulled out of Leamington and Ontario they stopped buying That's right. Ontario tomatoes. I switched my brand. I went to French's. Did which, you? Um, yeah, I switched. Oh I'm like, goodness. all right. I'm switching out. I I'm and I continue to use French's to this day. Now, I believe they said for the next 2 years they're still going to use imported tomatoes, something about contracts or something like that. So, I guess a great news are going to make it here. As you say, any investment in Canada is great news. Uh, domestic manufacturing and food, and then B, it'll be greater news uh, when they start sourcing the uh, the raw material uh, here domestically, right? But, so but honestly,
1: I, I doubt they you know. will. That's the problem. Hmm. Not so enough. They,
0: is, you they, don't think there's enough?
1: I don't think so. The the irony of it all, Michael, is that the Quebec government has provided a loan, a guaranteed loan uh, of two million dollars to Kraft Heinz to build this plant, guaranteed by Quebec taxpayers.
0: Did you say two million? Two million. Yeah, doesn't seem like a lot of money. It's not a, a
1: lot, but I mean, it will allow Kraft Heinz to process foreign tomatoes and slap a maple mm. leaf on their bottle. Yeah, so I don't like that. I mean, that's kind of what's going on now, and they did promise that in three years from now mm. they'll start. To procure uh, tomatoes from mm. from Quebec, but when you look at Quebec and the tomatoes that, that are being grown in Quebec, they're high quality tomatoes for retail, not for processing. The, right. the tomatoes That's you different. need are 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 grown out of Limington uh, and yeah. so I, I don't know what's the plan there, but they're going to have to increased capacity and you know this michael when it comes to processing price is king so they'll get to the best price possible and if the american tomato is cheaper than the tomato grown out of quebec they'll still buy from america they'll they won't
0: they won't they won't necessarily source domestically i guess it, it is a call out to domestic tomato growers in in quebec to just shift and, and start growing production tomatoes, maybe. Who knows, right?
1: Well, if they make more money with mm. greenhouses, and the government of Quebec just announced also this week that it, it is going to uh, provide cheaper, clean energy to greenhouse growers. Mm. I, I don't see the temptation there, uh, honestly. Mm. Probably mm. growers will make more money growing tomatoes or other commodities, Uh, Then and processing because with processing tomatoes, you need capacity, you need economies of scale, you need land, lots of land. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see it right now in Quebec, uh, Mm -hmm. unless, of course, you have the government coming in and helping out and, hmm. and, and, and enticing some farmers to get into tomato growing. But, I, again, I, I don't see it right now. And in three years from now, the current government may not be in power anymore, and we see a different minister of agriculture, uh, whom I respect, by the way. André Lamontagne hmm. is probably one of the best ag hmm. ministers Quebec has had in at least 30 years, I would say. Wow. Yeah, he's very well connected, uh, uh, but I, 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 I remain skeptical yeah <laughs> all right all right
0: well maybe we'll get i, I think we're looking to get someone from Kraft Heinz on the on the podcast so maybe we'll uh we'll call them to account and uh, kind of explore the issue a little bit further yes uh, uh, from that perspective and sustainability um last thing just before we get to our interview with joanne i noticed you tweeted out a, a, a data point that i thought was interesting that uh, and you kind of alluded to it earlier that of all the people ordering food online, it was the people in Nova Scotia that was the highest at 20%. And I thought that counterintuitive. In other words, in the bubble, why were so many people ordering online? At first, I thought, well, does that mean these are all the people who are doing their 14-day quarantine? Any any idea about why Nova Scotia, of all places, would lead online food ordering?
1: Oh, well, uh,
0: it's, it's, uh, it's the bubble. I mean, it, it,
1: the bubble won't necessarily get rid of fear. Fear is an awful thing. Right. And it's hard to get rid of, and uh, it's all about perceptions and how you feel. So it, I think it will take some time, but yeah, absolutely. I think the bubble has actually fostered fear and not the other way around, unfortunately, because as soon as – and I I can feel it right now in the bubble because of the number of cases we're seeing right now, which is quadruple what we were seeing before, it, it's getting – People are getting nervous, so they're canceling canceling meetings. They're they're staying home more. Uh, they're very mm. very fearful. So I, I don't think I, I don't think we're going to get to where Alberta is right now, Manitoba, because people are so fearful. But it just doesn't mm. help the economy either. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's not a great not a great situation anywhere. Nope. All right. Well, listen. Let's let's get uh, Joanne on, and, and we had a great interview chatting about her food trend report. So let's have a listen to that. Joanne, welcome to the Food Professor Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon?
2: I'm doing great, Michael.
0: Well, both Sylvain and I know you as industry colleagues. Sylvain, I think you've probably shared a a stage or 10 with Joanne (laughs) over the years, yeah?
1: A little. Uh, I've known uh, of Joanne's work for many years, obviously, but I think I've met Joanne only for the first time a few years ago, right?
2: Right yeah, yeah. and then lots of virtual stages as That's well. That's right.
1: <laughs> Physical and then virtual. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh yeah the work that Joanne is doing is is amazing. And so I think it's great that uh, that Joanne was able to make some time to to join us today.
0: It's uh, uh, luck, well-planned. We like to say it's well-planned, but it's a little bit of both uh, that, uh, Joanne, you're releasing a great report, your Food Trends 2021 report. Uh, so I want to get into that uh, in, in in detail. But first of all, let, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and who you are and the company you run uh, for those who may know you less and so our listeners get to get a sense of what you do.
2: Okay. Well, I spend most of my life client-side uh, with sort of classical consumer goods Company, So started my career with Procter & Gamble, then went from there to Unilever and ended my side, uh, my career client side as a divisional president of Wilson Breweries. And then uh, started the kind of ad agency I always wanted as a client, never got, but it wasn't a food specialist. Uh, we were more of a generalist focused in this thing called um, Digital marketing, which was quite new uh, twelve years ago, but got a food client fairly early on. It was an area I loved and understood, and thought, you know, it's good to know a lot about a little. So then uh, we mm. took the big jump and built the test kitchens, hired the the chefs, and uh, decided to just do food.
0: We want to talk a lot about the food report for twenty twenty one, but I thought I'd start, as I often do, looking at trends. In the before time, Mm. to just kind of understand what was happening to begin with, anyway. So some trends have accelerated, some are new. What are the top two or three trends that you saw uh, coming for 2020, and maybe the ones that have just been changed the most? I guess the the center of the bingo square is obviously, you know, dining out has been has been disrupted tremendously. But is there anything that jumps out that you were thinking about in 2019 about 2020 that's just gone? You know, it's going to take a left turn and, and just not entirely
2: work yeah there were there were three trends that fell off the table fast mm. uh one of them was the whole unpackage me trend because obviously mm. you know single use <laughs> plastics are everywhere right. right now i'm hoping that that one will and come styrofoam yeah you know yeah and all the reusable um cups and the whole the loop system mm-hmm. and the bring your own cup uh and containers that all got paused um during covid so i am hoping that we find a solution because i know consumers their hearts still there um yeah. but uh, yeah. the protocols aren't yet in place to come back with that one uh so that was one uh sober me that hasn't gone so well (laughs) (laughs) and that was just what are you talking about what are you talking about (laughs) people rethinking their whole relationship with alcohol and wanting to Mm. drink less have you heard anybody talk about dry january yet no
1: no it's probably not going to be dry (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's not going to happen so that one went out the window And I'd say this, the only other one was the whole entertain me, uh, the Mm. move from, uh, shopping as, um, a chore to an experience. And of course that got totally upended as well.
0: Right, right, right. Very underst- very understandable, and and uh, we've been talking about that for for quite a while. Thanks, by the way, for listening to the podcast. You mentioned you uh, you were a listener, so thank you very mm-hmm. much for
1: that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It needs modesty to to uh, actually admit that sometimes we're wrong. Uh, as you know, Joanne, we've been publishing Candace with Parts for a decade now, and. We haven't always been right and uh, we always go back in time and see how we did. And uh, we're going to do the same this year. But it's, uh, yeah, sometimes, uh, life will throw a curveball at you. And, uh, but it's important to, you know, to, to see, to understand what has happened, how, how things do influence people because human beings are very difficult to understand. I mean, it's just, that's,
2: we're not rational. We might no, like, exactly. think we're rational, but we're not.
1: <laughs> and you're good at something that I'm not. It's, it's It's because your work is very much on consumer behavior on trends. And that's not necessarily what we do. And, I, I would argue that your job is way more difficult than than understanding the economics of food. Uh, it's just so unpredictable <laughs> the nature of people in stores and restaurants is so so unpredictable. I I'd, I'd like to know more about why you started a report because I mean it's it's a lot of work, uh, there's a lot of thinking that, that that's involved. Why did you start a report and uh, what's behind the report itself?
2: yeah so this is our fifth year, I think. And you know I like to think that we are kind of in a privileged position in the food ecosystem because we work across the whole um, the whole ecosystem. So we have producers, processors, manufacturers, food service, retailers, associations, not for profits, like they're all our clients. Uh, and so because of that, I think we're able to kind of connect dots that others might not see. We do our own original research. We're doing research with clients. We're reading, um, you know, every research report that comes out of here. We're looking to other markets like the U S and the UK that tend to be ahead on certain things. Um, so because of that, I, we were able to see things that others maybe weren't putting together and so I thought, okay, well, let's take try to take a position of, of thought leadership uh, and come up with a, a trend report. And, uh, you know, we've been pretty pressing. If you look back to us, you know, a lot of those trends are still playing out uh, that we talked about five years ago.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, I agree with you, which, which is why it makes your report so interesting because you do look at – farm gate stuff as much as retail stuff and anything in between as well and most of the time when you look at uh, food trend reports uh, you basically look at whether or not peaches are going to be in fashion this year or the color green mm-hmm. is going to be in fashion. Mm-hmm. you go yeah. way
2: beyond that way beyond yeah we like to talk about the difference between trends and fats um, yeah, exactly. and yeah yeah and so trends are, are societal shifts and uh, boy uh, we had we had more than a shift this year we hadn't
1: <laughs> oh yeah uh, so we've read your report uh, thank you for sharing in advance by the way I know it's out now but uh, we actually were able to read it before it got released so thank you so much for that there are uh, several trends that you're outlining for 2021 I believe there are 11 including the rise of, of uh, the Omnichannel in two parts. So that would be 12, I guess. So could you walk us through uh, uh, all of the trends and the ones that really you think matters a lot uh, more than others, perhaps? And yeah, unpack some of the ones that really you think are going to be quite interesting to watch for 2021.
2: Um, well, I'd start with just the whole polarization um, of society, the fact that we're seeing two Canadas coming out of covid Uh, And I think people forget about that. So, you know, we've got half of Canada saying that, you know, they have less money to spend on food at a time when food prices are going up. We see record uh, food bank usage. People are having to choose, you know, can I pay my rent or not? Uh, And these are people largely who are, you know, hourly uh, workers working in hospitality, retail. Um, But on the other side... You've got, you know, those of us who kept our jobs during this time, we actually have more discretionary income than ever because we can't spend it on those fine dining experiences, those vacations. Um, Our expenses have gone down as well. We're not commuting as much. We're not, you know, buying that designer suit Um, so, you know, the dry cleaning bills, even like everything's down to
1: Cancun,
2: right? Exactly. So there's more money. So I think what's happening or what will happen is that whole middle ground is kind of going to go away. So there's going to be people who are, you know, value is going to be redefined by both of those different sectors. And so I, I think that's just one underlying trend, uh, that affects everything else.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you absolutely. The fiscal play in 2021 is probably also going to be an issue. We haven't talked much about that because we haven't seen the federal budget. But I think most analysts agree that taxes are going up, so this this disposable income <laughs> amount is likely to shrink a little bit more for most of us. And so again, putting more financial pressures on households and, and consumers uh, in 2021 and beyond.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, the some of the research I've been looking at for that second group, Joanne, that you talked about, the folks uh, who are spending less, a lot of that money's gone into writing down household debt. I mean, some of it went into buying outdoor hockey rinks and patio heaters, but certainly it, it, it's interesting, right? It's on one hand, on the other hand, because on one hand, uh, you know, less household debt sometimes translates into more open to buy. And, um, I, you know, the unknown factor in my mind is what happens towards the end of the year if all goes well and people start to spend again will there be that kind of bounce back based on a, a bigger open to buy it's so hard to say cuz who knows what shape the economy is going to be in but it's it's such a it's such a it's a great way to start your report um, it's oh, really, yeah. uh, it's really sharp.
1: So the second one is set the table. So will will we able to figure out a way to wash dishes more quickly into in twenty twenty one, Joanne? Please tell <laughs> me yes. Please.
2: Well, maybe we have a <laughs> pandemic puppy who can you know <laughs> be your new dishwasher. Yeah, I'd say you know that there's there's a number of uh, legacy impacts from COVID, but this will be one of the I think is one of the positive ones, and that's that's the return of the the family meal time. Uh, You know, going into the pandemic, um, it was estimated that 50% of our eating occasions were alone. Uh, And that's just been turned on its head now. And people are looking at, you know, three square meals a day um, with their family, and they're looking forward to that. Uh, And we know that, you know, as a society, we uh, are healthier um, mentally and physically when we eat together. So I think that that is is a really positive outcome
1: yeah absolutely the third one is not value-based eating it's values based eating i suspect there's some there's a reason and you're talking about the social justice in in our food industry tell us more about that
2: yeah and i think you know during during covid we were all spending more time online and there was this whole reassessment of societal values you know you saw the rise of black lives matter um, and i think there's also you know, been a reevaluation of our economy and the vulnerable within it. And if you look specifically at food, the people who are charged with getting food to our stores and our tables, uh, you know, frequently have less privilege than we do. And in the case of migrant workers, for instance, fewer rights. Uh, so I think that that is um, a place that uh, society is starting to really uh, reexamine.
1: For many years, we've been talking about transparency, disclosure, to make our supply chains transparent. Now, for 2021, you're talking about radical transparency and disclosure. So so what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I think for the first time, consumers actually um started Googling the words food system, food processing, supply chain, like not not words that were part of their lexicon, uh, but the food system became front page news. Yeah. And Empty shelves. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it shocked people to the core. And the food system did a marvelous Job uh, with during the early days of the pandemic, right? It, it bent, but it didn't break. But I think that you know now consumers uh, have sort of pulled the curtain back, and it's interesting. I always talk to my um, agricultural clients; they very much don't want to invite consumers in. They want to keep them at arm's length, um, and yet they also, <laughs> in the same breath, will argue that consumers don't understand the business <laughs> of farming. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think, you know, you need to, to pull back the curtain and let consumers see it because you know what? Farmers do take care of the land. They do take care of their, uh, of their livestock, but if consumers don't see it, they don't believe it. And we see so many terrible stories coming out of the U S so many terrible videos, uh, that kind of fill that vacuum. Uh, so I think the, uh, the industry needs to get better at uh, pulling that curtain back and letting consumers in.
0: Is that is that also something that's impacted when we have so many food recalls that you know and it's traced back to the farms whether it's California or wherever is that is that a compounding issue? Around suspicion around the, the quality of the food, or is that kind of on the periphery? No, no,
2: yeah. I I think it absolutely, and hopefully you know blockchain mm. will help there. Um, yeah. You know what we you know all the research says consumers trust farmers, but they don't mm. necessarily trust farming. Mm. Um, so we need to do a better job there.
0: Mm. Is, 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 let me stick on that point. So so that's something you said before. Is that a, a sense of uh, I trust the individual farmer, but not the big corporation factory farming is that the distinction people are making there unpack that a little bit for me
2: yeah no i think that's exactly right michael that's yeah. that's mm. where they are um and and they also again they see these massive factory farms in the u.s which in canada it it's not quite the same industry either and i mm-hmm. don't think they understand that um, because yeah. we haven't been telling them
0: well and to be fair you know there's not an insubstantial amount of our food that comes from the u.s so it is Relevant, certainly, mm-hmm. understanding what happens on both sides of the border. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: And people are, I mean, individualizing the supply chain by putting a face on a system is is one thing. But people do question the system uh, without putting a face on it. And that's why farmers tend to be respected. Uh, but people are... Do question uh, the industrialized model uh, behind agriculture, and I mean, yesterday there was a report saying that seventy uh, percent of farmland around the world is controlled by one percent of mm-hmm. farmers, and and it did it did get a lot of attention, and it, and I think it points to the system itself, the architecture of the system itself.
0: And Joanne, is that where you and I first met? Actually, you I interviewed you for the Forest Retail Podcast. We were talking about um, uh, a certification program for eggs like the food the, the, yeah, the egg check away. program yeah. yeah is is that a, a part of us is that part of the solution that people can look for reliable indicators on the packaging that says it meets some kind of standard i mean it's funny because peter van stock last week said the last thing i want any of my consumers is having to worry about what's on the label i do that for you you subscribe to my service because you trust that i Take care of all that, but is is this certification part of the answer for that? Yeah,
2: I think absolutely. Of course, how many certifications can you have, especially on the front panel? So you know, I always say to clients, it's much better to show than tell. Um, Mm. So it's one thing to have it on your website or to have um, a certification on your package. It's more powerful if you can show me on your website uh, through a QR code. Um, a video of those conditions and it's even more powerful if you can show live streaming which you know there are companies doing that right now there are restaurants doing that you know live streaming um and showing your food being being your meal being created so that's that's a gr- you know there's no better way to build trust and confidence
1: for 2021 you're uh, you're suggesting that we should go beyond local and you talk about the concept of hyper localization could you explain that for us?
2: Yeah, I mean I th- I think with COVID, um everyone's world shrunk. Uh often right down to to our neighborhood. And uh you know, the whole there's been the whole rise in um buying local, but I think that that's getting even smaller and it's um you know that nationalism's becoming almost um community and neighborhood based. Uh and you know, I think this was some of some of your re- research, Sylvan, uh, where you talked about um, Canadians um, feeling that greenhouse products taste as good as you know traditionally grown products. And yes, uh, that's right. Well, you've right. been
1: reading our stuff. That's I have. <laughs> I have.
2: Um, and you know, the fact that you know consumers want something close to home, they trust Canadian, um, they want hyper local, and we've seen all this money going into the vertical farming. Uh, industry. And so, you know, I think that that is, it takes a bunch of boxes. You've got stuff that's local year round, tastes really good, um, can be grown and shipped and on the shelf. You know, I've, I've got one client who talks, you know, seed to Instagram basically in a day, you know, so I, I do think that that's going to be part of the future as well right? You're even seeing some grocers who have it on their roofs or in their stores. And, you know, you've, you've got uh, the salad guy, you know, clipping those greens for you and you're taking them away. So, you know, no more food recalls from California.
0: We could probably spend, not probably, we could spend many hours talking about this fabulous report and we'll make it available uh, if that's all right with you in the yeah, show notes course. so people can go into the details. Give us the, in the kind of time we have left, couple of minutes, um, You've talked. To, you've you've already talked about some of the trends of the omni channel grocery and, and what's the what's the one last trend you'd leave us with? Um, there's more to be read, but what's the last one and last thought you'd leave us with? Uh, leave the listeners with today.
2: You know, I, I think omni channel on the um, on the shopping side. Um, if I look at you know the grocery store, that's a model that really hasn't changed for you know close to a hundred years, and I think mm-hmm. it's ripe for reinvention. And I think the whole omni channel, um, because we've had so much forced um, trial of online grocery, uh, w- regardless of your generation. Right. So, you know, right. boomers were adopting it as well because, you know, their kids and grandkids were getting them on the platform. And I think it's delivered better than expectations. So right. people have been pleasantly surprised by the quality mm-hmm. of their produce and, and everything else. Um, so uh, it's kind of ticked a box. So going forward, what's grocery shopping going to return to? And, you know, that's where I frame things as um, transactional versus experiential. So, mm. you know, your paper towels, your toilet paper, that's transactional. So does that at some point actually become a direct-to-consumer model, bypass mm. the entire grocery store, and then grocery stores become places that are more for inspiration and more solutions-based shopping?
0: Mm. It's it's an interesting idea we've talked about in the uh, on the retail side of that the the whole replenishment versus experience as well right in other words the the items that you say uh, are just you know I just want them to show up I just need them replenished and that's perfect for things like e commerce you know just every third order just bring me more toilet paper or whatever though it seems Canadians can't get enough of toilet paper so I was kind of looking for <laughs> you know what on earth, Canadians were thinking uh, when they start stockpiling on toilet paper. Anyway, so listen, uh, Joanne, it was, it's such a treat to have you on uh, on the podcast today. Um, last time you and I saw each other, we were walking the halls of uh, of Restaurants Canada show. You may, have, if, if anyone remembers shows, so it's really oh, that's right. nice. That's th- right. That, I mean, that was the, was the last right. great yeah.
2: show. Yeah.
0: It was the last great show. <laughs> so man, I think you were on the stage with Joanne and I, and we bumped I into was. each other. I was. Walking the aisles. Yeah. So, uh, you know, here's hoping that uh, maybe 2022 uh we can uh, We can do that again, but until then it was great to hear your voice and and thanks so much for this uh, wonderful report and and yeah uh, yeah keep uh you know this is great work, so uh it's really informing a uh, great dialogue so uh congratulations and and thanks again for joining us on the food professor podcast
2: thank you my pleasure bye bye well, Savannah, that was a great
0: discussion because we, we yeah. covered off a lot of things during, you know, we we were on, you know, we were going kind of number by number. But I loved the way that she would phrase, you know, the legacy impacts, for example, of COVID. And and I loved her strategic look. And as you said, um, it's not just about, you know, the trend or the, uh, you know, it goes deeper beyond Farmgate. It, it really, it was a really interesting document. And again, I'll be sure and put it in the show notes so everybody can have a look.
1: No, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I I, re, I, I always, I've always enjoyed her approach, her rational approach, her systemic approach to food. It's not just about the consumer. Uh, she looks at issues like social justice, and uh, and she really uh, gets rid of of many. Uh, she unpeels the onion. the societal onion she looks at um how food is being socialized she'll look at context she'll look at farm gate issues she'll look at supply chain issues and uh it's 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 always great Uh, her report is always a great read and i'm always learning something so yeah it was a great talk and i uh, Mm. i was i i'm really really i'm thankful that she was able to join us today
0: yeah, it was very fortunate. So thanks again to Joanne. Um speaking of reports, so you've got your big report, Canada's Food Price Report 21 coming 2021 coming out on the 8th. Now we've talked about it on the podcast about how comprehensive the I mean you start you work on it for many many months. Um, now that you're kind of towards the end, I'm sure it's in it's in, in it's final throes. Uh any observations? I mean one of the things you were we were talking about is you know, how do you build an AI model that anticipates such dramatic changes that covid has wrought on the food system but what's been your experience in in writing the report this year
1: what's what's interesting i mean it is going to be the covid report obviously uh it it reminded us of uh, of 2016 when we uh, called our report the trump report when he was elected you remember four years ago everyone was going oh my god now what like what are we going to do with that It, it had the same feeling but of course uh we don't know where the end is going to be. The interesting thing about uh, about the report this year is that really, I mean, COVID is just one of many factors. There are several factors we need mm-hmm. to consider economically, socially. Uh, of course, our focus is very much about the economics of food. And yeah. most of the metrics we look at that we embed in our models uh, are very much uh, economic. It's just... It's getting complicated out there, which is why this <laughs> year we've decided to partner with two other universities, the University of Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and the University of British Columbia. So we are we are going national. So we have four universities working uh, mm-hmm. on this report from, from now on. So uh, yeah, it'll be it, – it, it was a lot of work. We actually – the draft is being worked on right now. And uh, mm-hmm. so the release is on December 8th. And it, it, that day is, that week is always an exciting week because – People, you get people to think about the relationship with food. What's going to happen next year? And 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 whenever we predict something, over well, the last decade, our accuracy rate is actually almost at eighty
0: percent. I remember we we I interviewed you about that in Montreal for uh, the Voice of Retail, and and we I was admiring oh, we how did. Close, that's right, yeah. that how close to the pin you were. It was just phenomenal. Really. Last
1: I mean. last year was incredible. We actually missed our target by twenty six dollars. Yeah. Out of twelve thousand six hundred sixty-seven dollars, we missed the target by
0: twenty-six dollars. Well, will you do that again? Like, are you going to look back at twenty twenty? We always
1: do. That's why when we spoke to Joanne, uh, it's it's always wonderful to see someone go back in time and assess how they did the year before. Uh, we always do that. We we are university institutions. We're here to learn. We're here to learn how to do, get better. So we have to learn from our mistakes. And and every year we change something uh, about our methodology. So our approach is very different from one year to the next. This year we actually had uh, three models feeding our conversations are uh, about prices about trends about the future of food and uh i believe we have 29 co-authors 29 academics on this one Mm. so good luck getting some consensus Uh,
0: (laughs) joke about herding cats comes to mind exactly um, but i mean
1: uh, we uh people are who are part of the project are fantastic people i mean they're just fantastic and they understand that this is just this is not a Peer-reviewed journal article. This is this is to be consumed by millions of people. Uh, typically, uh, every year the market outreach for cannabis Supply Report exceeds one hundred million people. Wow. So it, it does get a lot of attention, uh, not only uh, nationally but internationally as well.
0: I wanted, and, and that comes out on the eighth. Our next podcast is on the ninth, so the timing is perfect. Uh, so we'll do a nice deep dive into the uh, into the results in our next episode now i wanted to end on a high note we haven't talked about weed lately there's we lots of deals no. you know lots of deals happening high tide has bought meta making it the largest retailer fire and flower bought friendly stranger the the spaced out race so to speak has been replaced by a race for scale any any thoughts i mean we haven't talked about retail cannabis in in quite a while uh, it's gone from essential er, illicit to essential and and uh any any observations that you've had lately in the in the retail cannabis or even the in the growing space you know, I'd it's, say I mean it's it's not
1: it hasn't been uh top in mind to be honest, uh over mm-hmm. the last while because of course I'm a food researcher, so I look at edibles mainly. Yeah. And on the edibles front, it's been pretty boring, to be honest. And and of course everyone is focused on the pandemic, the virus, but also as Joanne mentioned, alcohol.
0: I mean <laughs> Yeah. Well, cannabis consumption has gone up as well. Um, I know the, it's hard to measure, though, because of course it's gone up organically, so to speak, in legal retail cannabis. So it's That's a hard right. market to kind of grab your eye, grab grab a, a note. But the the my intuition is uh, alcohol. I mean, is you're not going out to restaurants, so you're consuming more at home, and I think cannabis is the same way. And and the good news is, I mean, I keep a bit of a closer eye on it. Is more and more manufacturers are bringing out better and better beverages, um, and edible seems to to have settled down into some good quality. I know the retailers I speak to are happy with the quality of the product. You know they have some wants and needs around variety and pricing and all that stuff, but so far so good. I think for those who uh, who imbibe in such things,
1: yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, it's. I mean, the the the, the thing about uh, cannabis is that we don't necessarily have a um, a, a breath of. Historical data, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. very hard. Uh, yesterday, I was talking to a group out of BC uh, on on wines and, and beer. The future is very promising, but going back to our conversation with Joanne about our fiscal reality, taxes. My goodness! If there is one place, uh, I suspect that governments will be desperate for revenues, and the one place they'll probably hit is is alcohol and cannabis. I I, I seriously doubt they they they'll they'll give they'll provide immunity to to those categories because there's lots of movements that there's lots of movement there, and uh, it'll be very attractive for governments to tax alcohol and cannabis more in the new year as a result of of record deficits across the board.
0: Well, I, I you know I'd get on my soapbox and say uh, to the provinces that have not, so not including Alberta, just open up more licenses. I mean, get the tax revenue, be a tax farmer, take that volume away from the black market. I mean, it, I where I live in Mississauga, you, you still can't open a retail cannabis store. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, that's right. Y- yet at the same time, there you know the mayor is crying for tax dollars and and all the things you say is well, I got a solution for you. You have lots of responsible operators who can run. A great business and and allow those tax dollars you don't even have to tax them more just give more licenses
1: exactly exactly the alcoholic uh, mm-hmm. situation uh, selling alcoholic beverages for governments is 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 always a good thing when it comes to generating revenues the problem that that most governments have now is that most of the sales are coming from in-store sales to generate more sales in stores like at the lcbo for example in ontario siq is more costly to uh, crown corporations versus restaurants restaurants you just sell a bottle of wine for twenty bucks, and you get twenty bucks. You don't have any overhead to pay, salaries to pay. You just get your money from the restaurateur. Mm-hmm. So to generate a billion dollars worth of revenues, it's costing more for the LCBO, NSAQ, and here the NSLC to generate. Just because you need to operate uh, stores across the board to to sell alcohol. That's that's the challenge. That's why they always prefer to sell alcohol to restaurateurs. Because margins are much, much, much higher, and they're not getting that mm. right now.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Ontario. We kind of can end on this note that the uh, you know one of the benefits of um, what a called Legacy is is the Ontario government opened up for direct to consumer shipping, so I get all my wine shipped from the Niagara region to my doorstep, like overnight. Wow! Um, and I get you know I get a case of wine as long as you order a dozen from some great wineries. Uh, 13th street and and uh, and pelle they deliver the wine to my doorstep same with my beer i get my my beer delivered to my doorstep there is no way that i'm going back to buying any other way i mean why would i (laughs) like i order online it shows up at the door i give them a friendly wave um so there there's options right i mean it's uh and i know in in Nova Scotia, there's the combination. It's one of the provinces we are allowed to sell both uh, alcohol and cannabis together um, in in some way, shape, or another. So anyway, the, the, I, we, I would encourage the, our politicians to be creative uh, and not uh, yeah. Not you just have to, to think about the tax the, tax partnerships
1: or... and yeah, joint yeah. ventures. You got that Absolutely. one? Joint ventures?
0: Joint ventures <laughs> I missed that one. Actually, good one. Good one. There you
1: go. It's <laughs> always good. great to have trucks on the highway.
0: Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> Oh, let's not get into the weeds about this issue yeah. too deep. Too. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. well, it must be wasn't. Friday. No, it isn't. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost track of the days. Well, um, this is the
1: first time we've been recording in the afternoon. Most of the time it's in the morning. True. Maybe we should do that in the afternoon
0: that's true i've had my ninth coffee or something yeah that's right my ninth ninth espresso uh well listen another great episode uh let's let's uh let's leave it there and and, uh say if you liked what you heard you can subscribe on apple itunes spotify your favorite podcast platform please rate and review be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the grocery food service or restaurant industry i'm michael leblanc producer and host of the voice of retail podcast and a bunch of other stuff And I'm Sylvain Charlebois. Sylvain, have a safe week. I hope everything goes well uh, inside the bubble. And I look forward to talking to you next episode and all about the Food Price Report 2021. All right. Take
1: care, Michael.